Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church located in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you will hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a message from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. All right, well, good morning. Here we go. We got one more week. It's a bonus week. It's week number six of our Fresh Dream series. It started out as a five-week series, but now it's a six-week series because next week is fifth Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. And uh, scoreboard Sunday, we got a lot of cool things that God's been doing. Don't miss it. Uh, I'm going to be preaching about testimonies, uh, sharing just a little bit of something I shared in Kazakhstan uh, with our church, but only preaching about 15 minutes because we got so many testimonies that we're going to be sharing. So you don't want to miss it. Uh, it's one of those weeks where if you want to attend both services. We're going to be baptizing people in water. Uh, Earlier this week, I've heard we had 29 signed up already, so there's still time for you to sign up for next Sunday, but it's going to be great. You can come to both services if you'd like. I will. Amen. But we're just going to be celebrating what God is doing. As I mentioned, this is a bonus week in the Fresh Dream series. Uh, We've talked about worship and serving and fellowship, discipleship, evangelism. And today is generosity. It's the one function that really makes all the others happen. And so I want to read to you a dream statement that we wrote this week. I believe it's representative of how our church operates already, but want to read it to you. And then we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. My name is Derek and uh, I'm the lead pastor for your celebration. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. It seems like so much happened since last Sunday when we had food trucks and football because our kids were out for MEA. And so it felt like a month this last week, Um, but it was just a couple days. But uh, aren't you glad the Vikings didn't lose last Sunday? Amen. That would have been a bummer. I'm pretty confident we're not going to lose today either. I mean, we're not playing, but uh, tomorrow, uh, I don't know, it's the Niners. Okay, here we go. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's look at this dream statement, and uh, then we're going to look at this. I dream of a church where generosity is an overflow. Somebody say overflow. It's an overflow of a cheerful and grateful heart. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 9 in just a moment. As a reminder, once more, on the final week of this series, these messages, the dream statements, they're not corrections for what we're not doing. Uh, They're just clarifications as we move forward together. Um, I already believe, I really do believe that our church is filled with generous people. And seven of them that say amen, you know, but uh, other people, silent people can be generous as well. And so thanks so much for you being that way. Uh, I really do believe that you're generous with your time in helping others, your talents, what you can do to, and, and your treasure. So in every area, I believe of your life, willing to jump in, help your neighbor, uh, if they can't shovel their snow or mow the yard or, or cook a meal for somebody when they got a loved one in the hospital, generosity goes way beyond just the checks we write on a Sunday morning or, you know, an offer we might give, but it's how we live our lives. And I just thank God to be part of such a generous group of people that say everything that we have is a gift from God with not just our money, but the opportunities and abilities that he's given us, and we're going to use them for his glory to help those in need. Amen? Amen. 
So we're just believing that and we're looking at that. As I mentioned, this function of the church really makes all the other functions happen. And so it's great to be part of this uh, here today. Second Corinthians chapter nine. If you're able, would you stand to your feet this morning and uh, let's read God's word together. My Bible gives a heading for this passage of scripture that generosity, it says generosity encouraged. Amen. So we're believing that here today. Here's what he says in verse six. Remember this. By the way, whenever we see in scripture, Jesus say, I tell you the truth, or you know, we hear from the apostle Paul, remember this, why is that important? Because we might not think it's the truth or we might easily forget. And Paul is saying, this is something you need to remember. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. There's another good pause, opportunity to say amen, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in all or every good work. Come on, that's good, isn't it? That's a good reminder for us today. I believe so many in the room are living proof of these verses, that they're true. As you've sown generously, you've also reaped generously in your friendships, in your relationships. Yes, even when it comes to stewarding God's resources. So we could have a lot of testimonies today that these are true in your life, but we're saving those for next week. So come on back next week and we'll look forward to hearing about that. Let's pray and then we'll get right into this message here today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to lift high the matchless name of Jesus, the greatest gift of all. We say thank you for giving your son for us, paying a price we couldn't pay so that we could be forgiven, set free, delivered, and live with you forever. So Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying. Help everybody leave different, more like Jesus. We ask it in that name. And everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, everything we're talking about today is a result or a response to what God has already given to us. Jesus, as I mentioned in my prayer, is the greatest gift of all, right? He paid a price we couldn't pay to forgive us, and uh, now we get to live with him forever. And because he has given so generously to us, it is our joy to cheerfully give back to him as well. Amen? Amen. And we believe that God is able, maybe another translation, more than able to bless us abundantly. And then there was a so that in that scripture. It's always important that we know what the more is for so that we can continue in good works. Not just so that we could sit back as one you know, verse would say, eat, drink, and be merry, but that we would be able to be a blessing to those we come in contact with. There is a purpose for the provision. And it's so that the whole world will know. All right, I wanna to talk to you about generosity here this morning. Three points. The second point has three subpoints. so how many points that really is, we'll get to it and they'll get quicker as we go. Number one, tithing is the foundation. Now, in a moment, we'll, well, like a lot of moments, the third point, we'll actually talk about generosity. The first two points are not really about generosity, but they're building blocks in order to get us to the land of the generous, right? So that we can do that, what the Bible says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. So these are the building blocks. And the first one really is tithing. It's the foundation. Here's what the Bible reads in Malachi chapter three. It's an Old Testament verse. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? 
yet you rob me. You ask, how are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. He says, you're under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Notice there, he says, when you put me first, then all the blessings come after. Verse 11, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations, here's the result, all the nations will call you blessed or blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. So tithing is the foundation. It's gotta go first. And tithing really is about obedience, there's not really, I'm going to do my best over the next 15 minutes or so to give you other verses and give you other explanation. But at the end of the day, you and I just have to decide, are we going to obey what God says? That the first 10% belongs to him. And it, it also says, if we keep it, if we hold on to it for ourselves, then we're robbing or we're stealing from him. And personally, I can't think of a worse person to steal from than God. You know, you want to steal from Pastor Dan? You know, I, that's up to you. <laughs> Don't steal from him because then you're going to have to live in my house forever. And I'm just saying, let him live in his own house. Don't steal from Pastor Dan. Don't be that person. But don't steal from God. He knows everything that's going on. But this point has to be first, right? Because it's the foundation of everything else on this topic of money that's built upon. Um, and this is where some people have gotten sidetracked in the church at large today. Of course, not you here in this service, but maybe a different service or different church or whatever. I don't know. But um, some people these days, they want all the blessings of God, but they don't want to build on the foundation that he's told them to build upon. We've said it in other ways that it does no good to declare and decree the blessings of God and disobey all the commands of God. It doesn't make sense. We're just skipping. We're going on. If you set out to build a house, the foundation is first. I mean, you might need a permit and some plans, but just work with the non-building preacher here today. The foundation is first. It's not the kitchen. It's not the bedrooms. You got to work on the foundation and the foundation comes first. And for us, financially, tithing is what comes first. Throughout the Bible, pick any portion of scripture, we see the people of God are always blessed when they obey God. And they suffer consequences or they're cursed when they don't. The choice is really simple for all of us. If we want to be blessed by God, then we should obey the commands of God. If we want to roll the dice, I can tell you how it ends, <laughs> not the way we want. So let me give you some background information. Maybe if you're new or maybe you like, I, I got people asking me, why do you do what you do? And, and then let me give you some verses. Let me give you some explanations, some background uh, for some of you um, when it comes to tithing or maybe another place you've heard is first fruits. And we'll get to some of those verses. Um, let me give you some phrases that you've heard if you've listened closely uh, in our time of offering. We don't give the tithe. We bring back the tithe or we return it to God. Now, those words may sound similar, but words help shape atmosphere or our reality. And so it's important that we know we can't give the tithe because it belongs to God. Now, my kids love giving what's mine. But here's the problem. It's mine to give, not theirs to give. We had to have a little family meeting this last week because last week at food trucks and football, my wife gave her card to our son, Lincoln, who's nine years old. And apparently he's not aware that that card is tied to real money. So he went and got a pizza. 
And he swiped that card and opted for, let's just say his pizza became a $21 pizza. So he was very gratuitous, shall we say. So I had to sit him down this week and I was like, hey, Lincoln, you owe me $21. I didn't say that to him, come on. I was just saying, but it made for a good sermon illustration right there. 21 bucks is the cheapest sermon illustration I've had in a while. But can you imagine if I went to Lincoln and I said, you have to pay me back that $21. And he went to his room and got out of his wallet, other money that I've given to him. But anyway, he goes and gets from his money because he ain't got no job. So, so if he were to bring me $21 and say, dad, I'm so generous, I'm giving you $21. I would take that money and say, you didn't give me nothing. You returned my $21 with my other $21. It's all mine. Give me my money. In the name of the Lord, of course. <laughs> Come on, he can't give me what's already mine. You know, the same is true when it comes to the Lord. The Bible says everything is the Lord's, but then there's something about that first 10% that he said, it belongs to me. So we can't give it to him. When we return the tithe, when we bring back that first 10%, we're not going, God, look how generous we are because we're returning to him what already belongs to him. Does that make sense? So tithing is foundational. We don't uh, give it, we, we bring it or we return it, right? And this is how it works. The Hebrew word, the original language that the Old Testament was written in was Hebrew. The word tithe means in Hebrew, 10%. It's just a mathematical term, which means I've heard some people say, well, pastor, I'm gonna start out tithing 1%. Did you know you cannot tithe 1%? Because tithe means 10%. I heard somebody else say, God's been so good to me, I'm gonna tithe 20%. Did you know you cannot tithe 20%? You can double tithe, but tithe means 10%. So you cannot say, I'm gonna 1%, 10%. And you cannot say, I'm gonna 20%, 10%. Tithe means 10% on the low end, on the high end. It still means the same thing, it's 10%. And the awesome thing about that 10% is just on your increase, it's on what you receive. And never ask to give or return or bring back anything that you don't have. Personally, I've never been asked to give God a billion dollars. I mean, he's never asked me to give a million either, but I'm just saying, uh, with a B, I got big faith. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, uh, we, we don't have to give, bring back anything that he hasn't already given to us. And so we bring it back, it's first. Now, the Bible says here that, that we live in a cursed world. I don't think we need to overcomplicate this. We are all descendants of Adam and Eve, mankind. And the Bible says when sin entered the world through their sin, yes, Eve took a bite of the fruit that she thought looked good and Adam was there and didn't do nothing to stop it. He let the enemy sit there and lie to his wife. What a deadbeat right away, you know. But anyway, uh, I'd love to say if Adam didn't mess up and, you know, not defend his wife in that moment, we wouldn't have. But the truth is, I've done the same thing or I've sat by and watched other people, watched my own life, my own family make sinful decisions. So we can't just blame Adam and Eve like, we can't believe you did that. We know what they did and we chose to do it too. We're probably worse than them. They didn't have a Bible to tell them. They didn't have a pastor to say, don't do it. But we're like, we're going to find out for ourselves. Anyway, that's not what the message is about today. Um, but we live in a cursed world. And the Bible says, when we put God first, it's a way for us to live 
outside of the boundaries, confines, or curse that this world is under, and it places us under his kingdom realm, his eternal realm that says, although heaven and earth will pass away, his words won't pass away. And when we put him first financially, it changes what happens to the rest of everything we have. So we know this is true because it's the first thing. Whatever leaves our hand first, that, that matters, right? The tithe belongs to God. We bring it back to him, which makes sense because not only is everything in the world his, but he's the one that gave us the ability to go and earn that increase anyway. He's the one that put breath in our lungs, gave us the ability. Whenever I go and pray for somebody before surgery, I say, God, be with the medical professionals that have studied to utilize the gifts you've given them. No doctor, no nurse, no pastor, no plumber. No, nobody can be whatever they want to be on their own without God enabling them to be. I used to always wonder, I used to hear these stories, oh, they're a self-made millionaire. I've never met anyone self-made. God's made us all. And he's the one that gave us the abilities to go and earn and all those things. So this is what happens. It's a natural step when we put him first that unleashes then supernatural protection and provision here to follow. This is what he says. When you put me first, then all of a sudden there's going to be blessing that comes your way. So there is provision that comes our way that is blessed when we put him first. But then look at this. There's also protection that happens. Those aren't even sub points yet. This is all like the intro to the first point. Malachi 3.11 says, he will prevent the pests from devouring your blessings. Now in the text, it really says devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. But I'm not a farmer, so that doesn't help me a whole lot. So he says he'll protect our blessings. When I lived in the South, when we lived in the South, <laughs> our family, uh, we had quarterly termite, um, acne pest control would come and spray for termites. And uh, down there, it was interesting. If we did not have a quarterly pest control service, if there was termite damage that happened, our home insurance would not pay out for termite damage. Just their rules. They just, you said, you got to have this. I don't know if it was because the spray would keep termites from ever doing damage or it was just so common, or maybe they would see it within three months with the inspection. I don't know what the rules were. I'm just telling you, they said, we will not pay out termite damage if you don't have pest control services. So what did I do? I paid $124.99 every quarter and I got termite, pest control, spray, whatever it's called. I'm not really sure what it was called. That, that was like my whole explanation about it. What I know is that I didn't have to worry if termites would get my house. I was pretty sure the spray or the expert would get them. But if not, I was told we now have insurance that would cover if there was a problem. I never once lost a night of sleep wondering, is tonight the night termites are coming? I knew I was covered. You know, the truth is you can sleep just as peacefully when it comes to the area of provision in your life. If you've put God first, you can know it says he'll take care of you. Now, number two is going to get to some common sense. That's not so common, like things you and I need to do in our lives, but I'm just telling you, he's true to his word. He says, you can test him, put him first and he'll bless and protect you. He'll keep the pests from devouring what it is. Now, there are some folks out there, of course, not in this service, that think tithing doesn't apply to us anymore, that it was just in the Old Testament under the law. And that was like true, but there's, there's more. So let me just give you some verses, some additional things in case you ever talk to somebody who's like that. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't understand what this is about. Here's some Bible verses as quickly as I can in one point today. Um, by the way, there was people tithing in the Bible before they were told they needed to. 
right? So we call the law, the Mosaic law was when they got the 10 commandments. You could see a copy of them out front. I don't know that that was how the tablets looked back then, but we got a big tablet of stone, right? Of the 10 commandments. But there was things that happened before Exodus 20 in the Bible. I wanna give you three of them from the book of Genesis. So this was before anybody was told you have to tithe. All right, Genesis chapter four. This was the first two boys, Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter four says, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits. Notice it didn't say first fruits. He brought some of the fruits from the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, but he brought fat portions from the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked on favor, with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not. Genesis 4, no law was given, no Bible verse talking about tithing, and yet we see Abel knew this whole idea of first fruit. So it was in play before people were even told about it because it's true whether or not it was spelled out or not. Here's another one, Genesis chapter 14. This was Abram who would later become Abraham, Abraham and Sarah, Abraham, the father of many nations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Before that, he was Abram and he was with a guy named Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 14, the Bible reads like this, then Melchizedek, who was king of Salem, he was priest of God most high. He blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And after that, the Bible says, then Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Notice it wasn't a 1% or a 20%. It was a 10th because that's what tithe was, whether it's spelled out or not. It means the same. That happened before Abram was told you should do it. He knew it was right. Here's a third option or a thing where this happened. This wasn't between two men. It wasn't between two brothers, but this was between Jacob and God. Genesis chapter 28. The Bible says Jacob made a vow, a covenant, a promise to God saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking, of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There it is again, three different times we see tithe or tenth in play before people were told about it, all right? So that might help you go, oh, that makes sense. It was around a long time before we were told about it. Here's one, I'll just give you one verse from Exodus chapter 27. We call this during the Mosaic law period after Moses was given the 10 commandments by God. Uh, Exodus 27, 30, the Bible says, a tithe or a 10th of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees belongs to the Lord. That's why we can't give it. It belongs to him. And I love this next words. It says, it is holy to the Lord. You know, it's always important that we handle holy things with awe and reverence. We, I don't really have time today to talk about what happens when we handle holy things carelessly. We see this in our land today. We, we see this throughout history where men and women have handled holy things improperly. Suffice it to say, it never ends well for us. Therefore, it's important how we handle holy things. And the Bible here says the tithe, that first 10% is holy to the Lord. Very few people will debate whether or not tithing was a thing for the rest of the Old Testament. But they're like, oh, when Jesus comes, now we don't have to worry about that anymore. The tithe is done. Well, let me just read to you what Jesus had to say about that. He was speaking to religious leaders. I believe he would still say the same thing to us today. Matthew 23, 23. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. I thought hypocrites was just a church thing today. No, nope, apparently it's been around for a while. <laughs> 
He said, you give a tenth of your spices. You tithe, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So for everybody that's like, well, tithing's an Old Testament thing, and now we're done with that. Jesus said tithing is still a New Testament thing. It's just the beginning thing. In other words, he didn't say work your way up to tithing and then you're done. He said you start there and then you need to add on justice and mercy and righteousness. What Jesus was saying is the Old Testament was the bare minimum for New Testament believers because now we've been given everything in Christ and therefore our whole lives ought to really be an offering unto him. So if you ever meet somebody that's like tithing, we don't have to do that in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you should be like, actually, it'd be way cheaper. Because we didn't read about law and justice and mercy and righteousness in the Old Testament. We knew we couldn't measure up. But now Jesus is saying, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you actually need to go above and beyond in every area of your life. Don't aim for the bare minimum. Jesus is saying, you ought to do more for your neighbor. So tithing mattered before God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. It mattered throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And it still mattered in Jesus' time, which proceeds even today. So if you're new, you want more information on that, learning about getting the right financial foundation in your life, we'd be happy to talk to you. But uh, we know tithing positions us to be in alignment with all that God wants to give us and through us as we become a blessing to everyone around us. Number two, longest first point I've ever preached, but number two, (laughs) They'll get shorter as we go. Eh, Just number three. Number two, stewardship is the formula. By the way, all three points are F words if you'd like to guess at number three. Uh, I don't know. I didn't realize that till this morning in the first service when that's what happened. All right, number two, stewardship is the formula. Let's look at this according to scripture. Proverbs 21, verse five. I love it in the New Living Translation. The Bible reads like this. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I don't often give summaries of Bible verses, but I like this one that I wrote. It's called the Ross Comprehension Summary. It's not a Bible translation. It's not an interpretation. It's just me trying to say it. I think we could also say that life is crazy whenever you just do what you want, but blessing flows when you do what God says. You ought to feel your feelings, but don't just follow your feelings, right? Now, it's shocking to me that we go to school for so many years and we take so many classes that probably won't help us after we graduate. Hello, pottery class. I mean, it might help you on a first date, and then after that, we never go back. You know what I mean? Like, you ever thought about that? Those pottery stores, somebody's like, that's my business. Well, good for you in first dates, but we know we can buy dishes now. That's what happens when you get a job. You could just buy them. You don't have to make them anymore. They just sell them. It's awesome. Okay, anyway, we take classes that aren't going to help us, and yet there are very few, if any, financial literacy classes. And that's something that people got to deal with the whole rest of their life, right? Money, dollars, and cents. This is something that we should give kids, we should give students the training instead of sending them out there, predatory lenders just saying, here you go, and they don't know what's up. Family history, my parents almost filed for bankruptcy right before I was born. 
They were trying to, you know, live up to, you know, standards that other people in the church were living and they, they really couldn't afford to. My mom's first year annual salary was $7,000 and she was the higher earner in their family. <laughs> so they gave my, you know, parents a place to live and then they said, well, you could get a house if you'd like. And then, anyway, things were going out of control and they made a decision. We're going to start tracking every penny that we spend. We're going to start uh, living according to good stewardship that we see in the scripture. We're going to make a change for our family tree. And I'm, I'm thankful that 41 years later, I can stand here and say, my parents did change the family tree of our family's future. I can remember sacrifices they made when we were younger that now my kids get to enjoy on a regular basis. But it takes somebody saying, we're going to make a change for future generations. Even as we talked about that, right? The blessing of God from one generation to the next. Every family needs a first family to say, this is how we're going to live. We're going to put things into practice. But the problem is when we look around our society today, it seems like most people's way of handling money isn't working. I think Doc McStuffins would say we're struggling with stuff-itis. Dr. Stuffins is not a real doctor, ladies and gentlemen, but if you've got a little kids, you've seen that cartoon. She was a stuff-itis. People are spending money they don't have to buy stuff they don't need, right? Maybe to impress people they don't like. <laughs> Seems weird, you know, uh, but we do it, right? People are stressed out about all their bills. Some are like, tell me about it, pastor. I know, I'm trying to help you and other people living paycheck to paycheck without any margin. Even small problems can lead to big fights in your relationships. One person said the number one contributing factor to divorce is marriage. And the second would be money fights and money problems. You know, you can have a lot of money and still have fights. You can have no money and still have fights or get along, right? The amount of money, but you got to have a plan. You got to be in agreement. But we see so many people struggling because Americans are drowning in debt. Student loans, credit cards. I saw some super long, crazy car loans too. Let me just say it as plainly as I can. You cannot get ahead by paying 20 some percent interest. I'm not sure if I got a Bible verse for that or not, but it, trust me, it's true. <laughs> Give me a little bit of time. I'll find one for you, right? People, maybe you today can't comprehend how you can be generous with your finances so out of control. Well, get on a plan, follow the formula. Therefore, good stewardship according to scripture, gives us the formula for succeeding financially and preparing us to live generously, which as Proverbs says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. So we know good stewardship begins with putting God first. That was point number one. But let me just give you the next three steps, really, as part of this formula. Uh, maybe you have other steps and that's fine. But number one, you need to make a realistic budget. A lot of people would say, get a budget. I wouldn't really add, make a realistic budget. Budget, not something that looks nice on paper, but realistic. I've seen some people online, they said their family groceries budget for the week is $30. <laughs> and if that's you, good for you, but for the rest of us, probably ain't gonna work. I said in the first service, if you like top ramen for every meal, God bless you, get some health insurance, you're probably gonna need it, but the rest of us, we're gonna mix in some fruits and vegetables, you know, and we're just gonna need more than $30 in a week. Make a realistic budget. 
for your family. Not one that just adds up at the end, but a realistic budget. Now, what does a realistic budget involve, right? Clifton has helped us with some of these before. Uh, it involves acknowledging your income and then making a plan based upon that. It's not, well, here's what I would like to make. What do you make? It's not hypothetical. I remember when, when uh, we came to the church almost nine years ago and they showed me the budget. The problem is it was from the year before and it was like seven figures different worth of income. And I was like, well, why are we using this budget? They're like, I don't know, it's the one we got. I was like, it ain't worth the paper it's printed on. We could have saved our time. Like it doesn't add up to anything. And so make a realistic budget. You gotta know where you are. Um, I saw this stat that I thought was interesting. If you make $35,000 a year, you're part of the top 1% of earners in the world. Now, now I get it. If you happen to live in the South Metro or just in America, you also happen to live in probably the top 1% most expensive places to live. So, so you need more income because there's more expenses. But in general, people in America have a spending problem more than they have an income problem. But we've been told by marketing billions of dollars every year. We've been told that we need a bunch of stuff to survive. In fact, the average adult in America spends just under $1,500 a month on what they call non-essential items, $18,000 a year. Now, when I read you the list of what uh, economic, ec economists, <laughs> economists, <laughs> people would know what they're talking about, have said are non-essential, you're going to hear some, you're like, I can't live without that. That's the problem. Right? Think back to when you were growing up. Stuff that is a necessity today was a luxury back then. Most of us have a whole computer in our pocket called a cell phone. I remember when my dad got his first one, it was like a whole suitcase, you know, to pull it out and plug it in, looking like Zach Morris, Saved by the Bell. I don't know what Zach was doing in school to afford that phone, but anyway... Here's what they call non-essential items. Going out to eat. Some of you are like, how dare they? <laughs> Did you know you can survive on meals at home? I mean, some of you need somebody to help you because you can't survive on your... But I'm just saying, in general, if you learn with one cooking class, you can survive. Going out to eat, um, drinks, takeout, buying lunch. Those four seem redundant to me, but that's probably where most people spend most of their money. Impulse purchases, ride-sharing apps, personal grooming, you know what? Let's keep some of that in there. You know what I'm saying? Just, we can cut some other stuff. Wear the deodorant, okay? Uh, subscription boxes, cable TV, online shopping, gym memberships. There's another thing we could cut. No problem. <laughs> Paid apps, TV, movie streaming services, music streaming services, coffee, and bottled water. Some people are enjoying rich people luxuries, but they don't have rich people paycheck. You spend money on a lot of stuff, these perks, these luxuries, and then you say, well, I can't afford. The truth is you can. We just have to make some differences. And so a realistic budget means you gotta be honest with the reality of your income and your spending habits, all right? Here's the next thing you gotta do, part of this formula. Get out of consumer debt. It's simple. Like some of you are like, oh, I don't know why I came today. Well, I'm trying to help you or your kids or your friends or somebody. I don't know. You cannot get ahead financially, as I mentioned, by paying 20 some percent interest. 
And really, no debt is good, but some is less bad or more acceptable than others. Like we have a mortgage here on the church, uh, 3.8 million or 3.7 million now. I'm not really sure. I have to look at the uh, finance packet for tomorrow's board meeting. But the truth is, if anybody came to me and said, Pastor, would you rather be debt free? It's not a trick question, friends. It's not, like, you know what? We really enjoy giving the bank 350000 a year instead of giving it to missionaries or other projects. Let's just stay in debt. I mean, come on, if you have the choice, no debt or a lot of debt, I mean, come on, it doesn't take a genius to figure out, go with no debt. But we understand the reality that, that you can use it as a tool or get a home mortgage or different things or some education. Probably want to borrow a little bit less than our society has told you on that one, by the way. But... We can use some as tools, but it's never like to our benefit. We're not like glad we have payments. And so we got to get out of consumer debt because that's where it really becomes a problem, right? When we're going into debt for luxuries and vacations, things we don't need and we can't afford. We're going into debt for things that don't even last a year. Those are, those are problematic things. Now, let me explain to some of you how finances used to work in our country. Now, some of you grew up in these times, but uh, for other people, here's what used to happen back in the day. People would save up money, and when they had enough money, they would buy stuff. I know what you're thinking. Like, Pastor, what if they didn't have enough money? Then they didn't buy stuff. That's like literally what would happen. But then we invented these credit cards, which, uh, you know, again, can be a tool. You can use them. I'm not saying that it's not a sin to have one. Otherwise, your pastor would be sinning. But, but you don't want to be spending more than you can pay off. And all of a sudden, you've lost uh, the discipline point of saving up for something. And it can feed to impulse buying. Now we know that there are people who will go impulse buy a bunch of stuff just to try to make themselves feel better. They call it retail therapy. It feels good till you get the statement in the mail. Like studies have been done on pain points. You ever notice online shopping when you put your credit card info, your debit card, whatever it is, they're like, would you like to save for future use? It seems like they're so kind and they're just serving you. The truth is they've done studies. They know if you'll save it and next time you just click buy, you're more likely to buy with them again then if you forget your wallet in the other room, you have to put your computer down, you have to go to the other room, you have to find your wallet, you have to pick out your card, you have to go back, you have to type in the number, you have to do the expiration date, you got to do the three-digit security code, and you got to put in the billing address, and you're like, forget it! I didn't need another pair of socks anyway! Amazon knows if you have to go to the other room, come on, I'm not the only person north of 40 that has gone to the other room and forgotten what I came for! This last week, one day I went to the kitchen three times in a row and I didn't know what I went for. Friends, there's not that much in the kitchen to go for. <laughs> they know if you can save the info, they're reducing a pain point and they're just trying to make it as easy as possible for you to impulse buy. Commercials. Uh, last night, Lincoln and I were watching uh, a food channel thing on YouTube and we're watching and he goes, dad, watching this, doesn't it make you hungry? That's what marketing's all about. When you see a commercial, it's like, you know what? I do need a new car. When you see a commercial, you're like, I do need a new pair of clothes. You might, but I'm just saying, don't let the commercial be what tells you what you need. If you need one, get one. We'll get to that actually right now. Let's just go to this number three, which is the sub point, not the real point. Number three, the sub point, number three, I'll be packing up your notes. 
Uh, sub point number three, spend money on things you enjoy. Or if you're married, you and your spouse enjoy. Or if you got a family, you and your family enjoy. If you've put him first, you've made a realistic budget, you're getting out of debt, you ought to spend money on things you enjoy. Let me give you a Bible verse. If you are the spender in your household, let me give you a Bible verse to help you. Ecclesiastes 3.13 says, people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor. For these are gifts from God. This is good. We need to understand. Some people develop a guilty conscience complex about spending money on nice things or for fun things. I'm one of those people. I've, I've noticed that there's a lot of those kind of people in the upper Midwest. We got everything on sale, didn't we? Like, oh, that's a great jacket. Got it on sale, 40% off. Had a coupon as well. Hardly couldn't pass it up. You know what I mean? It was good stewardship to get it. Thank the Lord. I have never met a Midwestern person that has paid full price for anything. They just lie about it. Like everything was on sale because we don't want to, I mean, if you worked hard and you want to pay full price for it, go ahead. I think you should wait two months to get it on sale, but I'm just saying like we've equated paying full price for a shirt like it's a sin. It's not. If you can afford it, Spend money on things you enjoy or your spouse enjoys. So when it comes to budget, just realistic budget, this is an area that's really helped me because I actually enjoy saving more than I enjoy spending. And my wife tells me, well, you do that and I'll do the other. So we're, we're working on this together, right? We're, she's a helpmate. We're good at this together. And, but making a budget has helped me go, you know what? We've got everything taken care of. We've put God first. We've got the missionaries. We, we've got a budget. We've got retirement date uh, a long way out. And, and we've got these things. Therefore, this money should be spent for fun. Amen. I've accepted that we're going to spend it. And next year, we're planning that I'll believe it's for fun as well. No, it's okay. Once you realize, you know what? This is a good thing to make a memory. Go spend something on an experience with your family. Make a remember when moment. Now, by the way, that's not to say it takes a lot of money to make a remember when moment. But if you have some money or you want to save up for a while, don't be afraid to make a remember when moment. Take a picture or it didn't happen, by the way, but... Spend some money on stuff you enjoy. Let me just say this. The prosperity gospel is not biblical. Neither is the poverty gospel, by the way, okay? So the Bible doesn't say if you got a lot of money, you're close to Jesus. Nor does it say if you don't have any money, you're close to Jesus. You can have a lot of money, be close to him or far from him. And the same is true with no money, right? We, we just want to do what the Bible says. And one of the things is if we've put him first, we've lived according to good stewardship, then we should enjoy the fruits of our labor. Another thing I'd say is invest for the future, but I promise you only three sub points, so I'm not going to say that. Now, real point number three. This is good, and then we close. I only got one page. I did five already, so this is, this is it. The team can work on getting ready and coming back out. Offerings are the fruit. They're the fruit. I don't know what word you guessed there if you were uh, trying to fill in the blanks, but offerings are the fruit. This is our theme passage of scripture that we already read. This is the point when we encounter where generosity really begins. Those other two are the building blocks getting us to this point. Tithing's the foundation, stewardship's the formula, but now we get to see that offerings are the fruit. And this is where it gets really fun. 
Tithing is about obedience. I don't know a lot of people that are like, this is the most happy moment of my life. Uh, living by a budget, a few people. I have one guy come up to me afterwards. He's like, I love our budget meeting. And uh, his wife's like, he sure does. <laughs> so, <laughs> but most people are like, all right, that's discipline. I'm gonna do it because it's good for me. But here, when we live in this land of generosity, it's where things get really fun. We, we said this, remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, those with a farming background will know this, and maybe if you want to Google, you can see it's true as well, but farmers can attest, we reap what we sow. That makes sense. If we plant kernels of corn in the ground, like my neighbor, the farmer, he's going to reap a bunch of corn. That was my mathematical formula, bunch, bunch of it. Stocks of corn, I guess is the right word. Stocks of ears, whatever it is, more corn. Leave me alone. Or if we plant apple seeds, we're going to see apple trees grow and we expect apples to be the fruit. We don't plant orange seeds and expect apple seeds. Really in Minnesota, we don't plant orange seeds at all, right? <laughs> you ain't get nothing. But, but we understand we reap what we sow. That makes sense to all of us. But also we see here in scripture that we reap how we sow. Yeah. It says if whether we Reap, we will reap sparingly or generously depending upon how we sow, the way in which, the how. And here's what I've noticed. Generous people have way more fun in life than stingy people. By the way, they got more friends too. Right now, you can't think of three stingy people that you're hoping invite you to lunch today. You're like, dear God, don't let me see him in the lobby. But if I gave you five minutes, you could come up with 10 people. You're like, I hope they invite us out. They're like, let me get it. We're like, okay. <laughs> right, generous people, they got more fun. Think about it. We're coming in the holiday season. Do you remember Scrooge? He wasn't having more fun. How about uh, the Grinch? Not having more fun? Who's having the most fun this holiday season? St. Nick, he's giving it all away. So we're like, that's not wheel. All right, just think in your own life. Don't, don't you know that generous people are the most fun people? They're, they're, they're the most cheerful people because we know that according to scripture, right? The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. So this is that area where we then get to say the tithe belongs to God. We bring that back first. We return it to him. We're gonna live with a budget. We're not gonna live beyond our means. We're gonna make it possible as we see God increase our life and our family. We're gonna know what the more will be for so that we can abound in every good work. And when that increase comes our way, God, we're gonna say yes to blessing the people around us. We're gonna say yes so that people will come to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We're we're gonna say yes so that people will gather around the throne in heaven one day with us, every tribe, nation, and tongue, and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah. Why? Because we knew what would happen when we put him first and we lived with a budget and we said, you know what, God, we're gonna enjoy what you give us, but we also know what the more is for. We want to abound in every good work. And I believe that's the heart of generosity represented in our church and from you here today. So we get ready to close. I'm going to pray and we'll sing, but you know, we're going to spend all of November talking about ways that we're involved here in our own community and all around the world. You're never going to hear on any of those Sundays, oh, you know, begging, begrudging, you know, guilt tripping. 
Did you notice Pastor Josiah didn't say, oh, everybody get a, get a Christian Operation Christmas Child box and get a Union Gospel Mission. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember all the things we're part of. You know, Union Gospel thing where there's not gonna be a guilt trip. Some of you were worried I was gonna break this again. I wasn't, I just looked like it. I was not putting my weight on it. Thank you. Okay. Pastor Dan leaned over to me during, uh, after worship in the service and said, you know, 150 boxes are already gone. I don't know, how many boxes did we even get? 200, so there's, there's only 50 left for you, so hurry. Uh, we could probably get more, I don't know, but 150 gone. There's not gonna be this, oh, you know, if you don't do it, no kid gets a Christmas gift. But you've seen commercials like that. You might've heard pastors talk like that. Well, we wanna do what the word says there and that just ask everybody to pray. You know, when Pastor Vicente shows us new missionaries in different places around the world, yeah, it is true. Some people aren't gonna hear unless we say yes, but we just believe according to scripture, if we'll just do what God asks us to do, he'll take care of what needs to be done. Amen? So we are gonna ask everybody to pray. You know, every day, well, God, what do you have for our family that we can do to help those around the world? Amen? All right, would you stand if you're able? Let me pray for you here today. And then we're gonna sing this as a declaration one more time, this declaration of a blessing. And one of the cool things uh, that I love as pastor, you know, we really see it in scripture. We see it throughout humanity. One of the blessings that a father has is to get to pronounce blessing on children and grandparents upon their grandchildren. And I'm gonna pray this blessing over you and then we're gonna sing it together one more time before Pastor David gives us our closing instructions. But uh, if you're uncomfortable, would you open your hands towards heaven and allow me to pronounce this blessing over you here today. Father, we thank you for the greatest gift of all your son, Jesus. Loved us so much, came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died in our place, paid a price we couldn't pay. We were then and are still today unworthy recipients of your goodness and your grace, but we receive with open arms and open hearts. We say thank you for everything you've done for us. And now, Father, as the under-shepherd of this house, the pastor of these people, I bless them today in the mighty name of Jesus, that they would see every need in their life met, that they would put you first in this area, that they would live with good stewardship, and that they would be conduits of blessing so that people in this community and all around the world would hear in one day, say, Jesus is the one who saved me and set me free. And we look forward to the day of being together with you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let's sing this together. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or the 10th time, reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.